Welcome to the Keep It Quirky podcast. I'm your host, Katie Quinn, and this is the pod where I talk with creatives and entrepreneurs about food, travel, and the discipline and drive to create. Passion begets passion. So let's do this. This episode is all about audio. I love audio. I've been a fan of Terry Gross since I was 18, but it is a little ironic because my entire career has been all about video. I'm a video creator and YouTuber with a serious thing for audio. So let's dig into it a little more. We'll be talking about making a living as a musician with the composer of the theme song for this podcast. Oh, and he happens to be my brother, Brian Quinn. And then we'll sit down with Hester Kant, audio journalist for the BBC and a whole handful of food-themed podcasts. You guys, this is the dozenth episode of the Keep It Quirky podcast. Is, is dozenth even a word? Did I just make up that word? Dozenth. It sounds right and wrong at the same time. Anyway, a dozen episodes, and that's not even including the pilot episode. So to celebrate a dozen episodes, I started an Instagram account for the pod at Keep It Quirky Podcast. Check it out. I'll be pulling some of my favorite quotes. One of them that I recently found is a throwback to the pilot episode with Julie Nolke. I'm going to play you this clip and you'll hear just how far I've come in terms of audio quality. But I love the quote because it's kind of the basis for all of the other conversations in this podcast. I have this one quote, I can't even remember who it's by, but it's, um, I'm going to totally butcher it, but it's basically, it's not your job to decide whether or not your unique creative expression deserves to be in the world. You are the only one of you. And if you deny the world that creative expression, it never gets it. Amen, Julie. Amen. And now let's talk about almond butter because you know I love it. And you've probably had almond butter before, but I bet you didn't know that it could be better. Jordan Gaddy, the founder of, you guessed it, Better Almond Butter, realized it could actually be a whole lot better by only using truly raw Spanish almonds and a process called sprouting. He created an almond butter that's more nutritious, more natural, and more delicious. So in other words, it is actually better. You should go to betteralmondbutter.com for more information about everything I just said and to understand really why it is better for the environment and in terms of taste. So my brother, who, by the way, wrote the podcast theme song you're hearing, he's a musician and he plays with the band called Mississippi Heat that goes on these international tours. And they just so happened to be doing a European tour last month. I live in London, so that's awesome, right? Except that they weren't playing in the UK. So at first I was like, oh, Brian, I'm bummed. I'm sorry I have to miss your Europe tour. But then the final weekend Brian was in Europe, he was playing in Lithuania. Connor and I booked a last minute flight via the budget airline company called Wizz Air. Yeah, it's called Wizz Air. <laughs> and we surprised him in Palanga, Lithuania. We did not tell him we were coming. We just showed up and gave him the surprise of his life, honestly. The video of our trip is up on my YouTube channel now. You've got to see his reaction. Good morning. He 
to Berklee College of Music in Boston, graduating in 06, and he's been a full-time professional musician ever since. He's based in Chicago now, and he's the bassist with legendary blues band Mississippi Heat, as well as in the Kelly Hunt Band and with Joanna Connor, his own band BQ. He also teaches bass guitar, guitar, and piano in private lessons. Brian is insanely talented. While we were together in Lithuania, I asked him to come on the pod for this audio-themed episode to tell us about his life as a musician. We are in Lithuania right now. I came to see your band Mississippi Heat play a show last night in Palanga, Lithuania, and it was awesome. Oh, thanks. Thank you so much for coming out. It was such a delightful surprise. It was so, so good. Here's my cue to uh, play some of the music from last night's recording. Okay, and edit in music. <laughs> music school at Berkeley College of Music. Yes. And what did you study specifically? Uh, technically, my degree was in professional music. It's kind of a build-your-own major, so I kind of did a, mostly performance-based classes, stuff like that. I also took some composition and arranging kind of classes and some advanced theory and ear training. So it was kind of a mix of stuff that I thought would be useful to me. And so after graduation, you never were a barista at Starbucks to pay the bills. Like you really, after graduation, you dove right into being a full-time musician. Yes, I was fortunate enough to uh, have a bit of a nest egg um, that I was able to live off of for a little bit. When I moved to Chicago, I was able to get my claws into the music scene before that nest egg was totally gone and I needed to scramble to do something else. So fortunate, yeah, I mean, I teach as well as perform, teach uh, private lessons. I've been fortunate enough to just make a career in music since I got out of college. So how do do you do that for anyone who wants to be a musician do you even remember what those first steps were in Chicago that you took was it a lot of networking how did you even like get your claws in when you say that what does that mean oh yeah it's tough back then there was a lot of looking for uh, ads on Craigslist seeing what bands might need a bass player and there were a lot of bands that didn't really go anywhere but I play for this original band for a couple gigs didn't make any money but the drummer for that original band also played in this cover band so then I kind of ended up subbing for a gig there and then one of the players in that band then got my number and I'd end up with it so it slowly snowballed from there I would always make the analogy to fishing and you know you cast a line and if and if it just sits there for 30 seconds you don't say well there's no fish in this pond and then you go home you gotta wait you gotta keep casting that line and uh, as long as it's not costing you too much to to cast that line over and over again eventually something will bite you don't stand anything to lose by keep putting yourself out there what do you do when you feel creatively frustrated or creatively stuck how do you get unstuck well that's tricky i mean you know sometimes depending on the project that i'm playing you know or the job that i'm doing i have the the 
ability of creative flexibility I have varies. And when I am in one of these projects where I feel restricted, I, I try to have satisfaction from simply doing the job well. You, I mean, usually if I'm creatively restricted, it's because that is what the style demands. As much as that may not be as fun, it is what is best for the music. So I, I try to find satisfaction in simply not to be too trite about it, but uh, to just a, a job well done. Executing the task appropriately. If I'm not getting my creative kicks from that, that's when I have like my own compositions and things and I, I write my own music and I try to live creatively in that because that's where I uh, have carte blanche over my own creative destiny is in my own project. It's a bit of a balancing act. As it is now, I have my own band and after I'm done paying my players for each show, usually I end up in the hole. Yeah, I mean, there really is an inverse relationship between like creative freedom and paycheck. <laughs> and I love what Brian was saying about when you're starting, especially just consistently casting your net. Also, I want to say really quickly that I know this stuff is a lot easier to say than it is to do and that it can feel like defeat after defeat after defeat. I mean, I get it. I have been there. I want to share a quote that I recently heard from Beth Kirby's Raw Milk podcast that just so hits the nail on the head with what your strategy can be in that case. It is don't get in defeat mode get in diagnosis mode. How great is that, right? Get curious and above all, don't give up. And in a lot of cases, there is the added benefit of each time you cast your net, you're also practicing your craft. And I'm sure you've heard the theory popularized by Malcolm Gladwell that it takes 10,000 hours to master a skill. Just keep doing it over and over and over. And Ira Glass of This American Life has said similar things about the art of storytelling. Just keep doing it keep going. And someone who does that along the lines of Ira Glass is audio storyteller and broadcast journalist Hester Kant, who is today's guest. Hester is the producer behind the food podcast Honey & Co, hosted by the well-known London restaurateur duo Itamar & Sarit. She also produces for Radio Cherry Bomb, the podcast of the awesome indie food magazine Cherry Bomb, and she produces for a couple shows on BBC Radio 4. She also does some voiceover work. Basically, this whole audio sphere is Hester's world. I'm excited she's on the podcast because it is masterful how she combined her skill of audio journalism and her passion of food and culture. I had Hester over to my flat and with a cheese plate between us and a beer in our hands, she told me what she does. I help produce um, two programs for Radio 4, one of which is called The Kitchen Cabinet, which is all about food, uh, funnily enough, and the other one is Gardener's Question Time. Um, and Radio 4 is BBC, right? It is, sorry, BBC Radio 4, yes, one of the stations. Um, I also do freelance reporting, so making features for different programs around the Radio 4 network, and I produce uh, and co-host sometimes other podcasts about food and a lot of stuff about women in food as well which is something I'm particularly keen on and I sometimes do voiceover work as well it's all, it's all I'm all over the place you are all over the place but specifically in the world of audio media right yes yeah, yeah. so that's my training if you want to call it that yeah I did I studied broadcast journalism but also just all oh, radio has just been a huge part of my life I think if you're a certain kind of fam actually if you're many kinds of family the BBC radio world has some kind of hold on your on your family life whether it's whatever station you listen to you probably ascribe to a certain one and and that's been your one for a long time but I think we had every station on in a different room at some point in the morning but it's just a huge part and I think if that's 
that really stuck with me and I, you know, love doing acting and voice work and things that require listening, particularly the sound of people talking and what audio does that visual things do or don't do or what just written words do or don't do. So it's like a, some for me, it's somewhere between the two where your imagination is still really active because you're not given the visuals, but you're also given a lot of uh, prompts by however you're given that audio. And so I wonder if in all of the rooms of your household growing up, if there had been a television playing as opposed to radio playing, do you think that that would have affected what you're doing? Yeah, I think so. If the TV had been as important to my parents as the radio is to them in real life, it was if it was an equivalent universe. Um I'm sure, but I also, I did I did a lot of acting as a child and I was, I did TV things and I did various video related stuff, which I enjoyed, but I think that there's so much, TV people will not be happy, but there's like so much faff involved in creating something visual along with so much art and so much creativity and, and wonderful things. But actually the idea that you can have something completely conjured by just closing your eyes and, and using your ears is is really special. You know, whatever you wanted to do when you were about 12-ish is basically what's kind of inside you uh, and, you know, what you find as your, the thing you want to carry on doing. And I think that's, that's so true. And I, you know, I went off various different paths before I came back to realising how much this is what I want. Are you aware of how your voice sounds to Americans or the rest <laughs> of the world? <laughs> you know, my accent, people, if I meet people, they'll, you know, they might think, you know, you're, they think you're posh from your voice. And of course, there are certain ways I say things that are not like an average on any by any means of the whole of the UK. I didn't have a strong accent when I was growing up in any sense of the way, and I'm from somewhere that doesn't really have a regional accent as well, which is Cambridge. And uh, But actually it was, you know, through doing acting things and kind of keeping that, what is called RP, which is received pronunciation, but that's a kind of, that's a horribly historically horribly kind of class associated thing which is really not what I want to be associated with just happens to be how I talk but also it's really useful so I do because I do voice work and that's what I want to do having what is deemed to be in in some worlds a neutral accent which is not fair because you know if you're born in Newcastle and you just speak how you do that's your neutral accent in terms of the way England is perceived by the rest of the world Mm -hmm. my accent is is an English accent that is the most well-known one. I, when I worked with Cherry Bomb and when I've been to America in, uh, for other times, I've luck, been lucky enough to be there for quite long periods of time and the amount of awful British accents I had <laughs> parroted back at me was was hilarious <laughs> and something I would never, I never think I would do to an American. Although actually saying that, one of my, one of my very good friends is American and uh, a couple of my friend and I who are both English would constantly, you know, use a very strong valley girl accent around him and he might do that, you know, initially thought it was us really taking the piss, but actually <laughs> just so much fun to use the accent. But yeah, it, I think it helps um, sometimes it yeah makes people think you're more serious but actually it's just how you talk I think I had quite a lot of run-ins with people who'd be like you say what or like you say what does that mean or you know you don't know what this means and yeah. it's I think it's quite fun because we don't you know as a as a culture that doesn't isn't very good at being fluent in other languages as a general rule it's quite fun to have that interaction with somebody who you you are culturally very very similar and your language is the same but then there's tons of words you don't share and you get that time to explain it to each other which is quite fun you you actually just used a, a saying that I've relatively recently come to know and love which is taking the piss out of someone <laughs> so you just said like something something taking the piss and I I wonder if a lot of my American listeners listening to this are saying like 
piss? Did she just say piss? So for anyone who might not know, what is uh, taking the piss out of someone? Taking the piss. It's like taking the mickey. That's You have that? We do not have that either. Oh, speak English, Hester. No, I'm just <laughs> No, but that's it's, it is funny because like we both speak English, right? But it's like, what is she saying? Okay, it's okay. like you're you like give someone a hard time, right? Like you're you're ragging them. Yes, you're ragging them. Yeah. <laughs> um, what what's an equivalent? I thought taking the mickey was American. Oh god. Okay. You guys, if I'm wrong, please like tweet me or leave like an Instagram comment mm-hmm. or something. If it, I don't think I hey, we didn't have that in Ohio or New York. I'll tell you that much. Okay, so that's not maybe that's not where it's from. It's basically it's teasing somebody. Okay. Yeah. That's where it comes from. And but you can it's used in you can be like oh I'm just taking the piss of you, meaning like I'm just teasing you, and it's it's like banter and it's something where it's it's very much friendly and back and forth or it's like they were taking the piss which is like they were really taking you for a ride they were you know treating you poorly i feel like i'm i'm doing an oxford english dictionary version (laughs) of this now but yeah i haven't i also haven't thought about the fact it's called taking the piss like removing i don't (laughs) know no no, it's not i don't want to go there speaking about um how you sound over the radio or podcast as that is what you do. I'm sure you give that a lot more consideration than the average person. What are some of the things that you've learned in your voice training? Well, um, you're, you're an essence of yourself. I think you're... Yeah. But that's also being natural at it. I think you come across really naturally in your videos and that's that's why you know you're approachable generally but that's because you're an approachable person i think it's unless you're in a fantastic actress or actor, <laughs> it's quite hard to pretend that kind of thing i think i fooled you all <laughs> <laughs> she's horrible guys help me no no like that i think the being natural thing but it's like actually the best way to think of it is is to not scare yourself in this way but to think of it as you know in a job interview the goal yes it might be more serious than if you're being interviewed for a podcast or on the radio but um is to be as close to yourself as you can because actually that's when people people hear basically people hear through a lot on the radio you might think you're you know you're sitting straight and you're you know you're very much holding your posture and you're speaking quite slowly and correctly and yes that's all that's all fantastic but actually if you're not being able to think through the things you want to say and and be free to say them then then everything else goes awry anyway so you you could have you could have got all the sort of technical things correct and and then still not be yourself so I think once you once you found either a topic or a forum or a situation where you do feel comfortable or if it's your own podcast it's something that you're if you're talking about something that you really do care about you can tell when someone is being um fake fake is a strong word but like you can tell when someone isn't the heart isn't really in it mm-hmm. and they're not invested but they want for some reason they want to just they want to have a podcast whatever that means the ones that succeed if you want success or if you you know just don't they don't come from that place they come from a place of somebody who is truly curious about something or they are really keen to show something to people who haven't heard about it it's very much working backwards to that bit first if that's what you've sorted out in your head especially and with if you're doing it with somebody else that you know you've really discussed it and talked through about what the kind of nitty gritty of it is I'm worried about these phrases now <laughs> um, uh, the, so but then I think at that point tips wise in terms of using your voice it's always talk slower than you think you need to talk I'm probably talking too fast now I will try and slow down always slow it down because you're often thinking ahead and therefore you're speeding yourself up um, and that's fine you know thinking ahead is, a, is another skill which is actually quite hard to 
to master, especially like what you're doing now. You're also thinking of the questions you want to ask. You're thinking of what goes off the back of what they've just said. If you're the kind of interviewer who has got it, you know, you're quite nervous and you've got a list of things you really want to make sure you ask. And that's that is great because it means you really care about it. But actually, the best interviews come from true conversations. It's mm-hmm. just the microphone just is just there. If someone really wants to ask something, you can hear it in their voice. And then so slowing down and this is long, I'm sorry. But this is something I really care about because so many people don't don't vocalize themselves in so many situations, let alone on a podcast. So and that's not because of any lack of, you know, skill or whatever it is. It's just f- habit or what they've been taught or what society tells them to act like and and also opportunity to to express themselves as well, which I think I've been very lucky to have through through various channels. But enunciating and that doesn't mean speaking in a posh voice. It just means making your words clear. So again, not um you know, doesn't matter about like having your T's or, you know, so we, we say dropping your T's. I don't know if that's a, a an American term, but, you know, when people leave the T off the end of words. Uh-huh. Again, if that's your accent, that's your accent. But you, it's more about like making sure you're saying the whole word. You know, if you want to reach people who you haven't reached before, they don't know you. So, you know, like the way I talk with my friends is at like 300 miles an hour and you can't expect other people to just tune into that. That's fine. But if you want that friendly atmosphere, you have to, it's hard. You have to find a balance between really clear and conversational but also like as if you're talking to a friend of yours so I think that's just practice and I think it's listening back to yourself which is another thing as well which can be kind of painful to do but but helpful for sure yes absolutely and also that yeah so if you are starting something listening to it I think is often people ask me for advice or they or they just generally ask me about it and they're like how can you listen to your own voice and it's like yeah I know it's really embarrassing it's cringeworthy but if that's what you want to do get on board get over it fast because you're gonna have you know you have to edit your videos right I'm sure that's not I'm I'm sick of seeing my face by the end of those days exactly exactly (laughs) but I also wouldn't have it any other way I love editing my videos because then I'm in control like of my content basically and of like what I am doing out in the public sphere I feel like if anyone saw my stuff before it was edited they'd be like this chick is a fool so I like and edit myself look kind of do you edit um all of your interviews yes yeah so I think that's a so it depends on what show I'm working for so when I when I do interviews for Cherry Bomb because I can I you know I have my own microphone equipment and I I will do make the piece from start to end I'll record everything and then edit it myself but yeah I edit the Honey and Co food talks which is another podcast I work on Honey and Co by the way is um one of my favorite restaurants here in London it's in Fitzrovia in central and it is amazing it's Israeli food beautiful beautiful food okay so Hester runs their podcast yeah so they they're a fascinating example so I know Itamar Shrudovich who's him and his wife Sarah Packer they met as chefs and then they've started this together so this is their joint venture and they have three places yeah so they host food talks so they you know they're very well connected in the food industry they've written some fantastic books as well and that's a pleasure as well because you know I'm working for things that I'm completely fascinated in and food is you know definitely the one of the biggest subjects that I I care the most about and from every end as well like from the nerdiest comparing ingredients and recipes all the way to the social and anthropological impacts of it and you know whatever that means and so we get to cover all of that depending on the person who comes in and that's that's fantastic so editing that is a is a joy because um you just you're just reliving the things that you you like doing anyway editing something boring is is boring so yeah how did you carve this niche for yourself so within the audio broadcast journalism that 
how did you come to be the food girl? <laughs> uh, it's happened. Uh, I don't know. It's happened quite organically. It's such a wanky term. It's happened. <laughs> sorry, it's happened slowly, but then kind of in weird places picked up momentum. But I think it's because you know we're talking about starting a podcast and that is something that people are really interested in now because it's a world people have realised who who weren't already involved in it. People have realised that it has mileage and actually Yen has economical mileage sometimes as well and sometimes doesn't and that's fine. But I think the interest has has peaked. Yeah, it's a really fun world to be in. Tell me about food for you growing up and how that grew. So I, my family are um, English and Scottish, so there's not really anything... I mean, there is there is interesting food there, and but not apparent. You know, it's not like I um, am from a really really diverse background where different food genres really play a part. But um, especially my mum came from a household that you know just absolutely loved food, whatever kind of food it was, and just extremely interested in it, and not and not didn't shy away from things. My dad definitely sees it more as a I think we've helped him, especially you know, in the in the how thirty years he's been married to my mum. It's he's he's changed a little bit, but he definitely food as fuel, and I'm sure that comes from lots of things. Uh, we don't need to do a whole psychoanalysis on my dad, but like went to boarding school, and I think things like food were not a happy association amongst other things, and I'm sure that's part of it. Um, but my mum, in particular, like is a fantastic cook and just always. You know, we a huge. I think probably a huge part of it, which feeds back into the whole voice thing and confidence about how you speak and how you vocalise what you feel, even if it's not interesting. You know, that if you do it in an interesting way, it can be it can be more useful. Yeah. I think eating around the table is an incredibly luxurious thing to be able to do, and not just because you your family tells you you have to and you sit there in silence. But we particularly had, like, you know, especially if my dad was back from work and. And my mum was as well. We would, you know, all eat dinner together. And that was a huge uh, part of the day. And, you know, no one holds back in our family. And there's a lot of, like, really great discussion and teasing and, you know, whatever goes on. How many siblings do you have? Just just one younger sister. Okay. Yeah. So there's not, uh, I think, so mealtime's very, very special. And then also just really, I don't think I realised this until I was maybe about 14, 15, but... We were lucky enough to go on, you know, lovely summer holidays every year, um, vacations, and uh, <laughs> and thank you, um, and a lot of time. My mum adores Italy and learnt Italian as a second language when she was, she already speaks good French, but she learnt it as, uh, you know, a kind of a passion project when she was about forty, and and we went. We'd been quite a lot at that point, but just you know went almost every year with another another family. I really, I always loved it. Meal times were exciting. I always loved the idea of food. I wasn't, I was definitely a child who looked forward to eating things that they particularly liked. The main thing I'm interested in above everything is is people and their interactions and food and that's you know it always comes down to that but food is is something that you know everybody has to do so much and it can so often be such a an unpleasant thing but then in so many places it's an extremely pleasant thing but maybe taken for granted because it's just cultural or um you know just what people do and they kind of they're just part of it and therefore they can't see from an outside perspective how special the rituals or traditions or you know daily routines that they have are food just became 
quite fluidly became the thing that lets you into those cultures. Because the best, you know, the best times of my life have been sitting around wonderful dinner tables, having like hysterical times. That I mean, that's the goal, isn't it? Just having fun with people around a dinner table, but also your senses are completely enlightened by whatever you, if it's something good or even if it's, you know, it doesn't have to be fine dining. But I think that's, it's just all I want to talk about and read and listen to and watch. And I think that's when you know it's what you want to be doing. Yeah, absolutely. I remember when I was um, working at NBC and doing like video stuff, I would compulsively check food blogs and like learn about restaurants around New York City. And then I would like go immediately and check them out. Um, yeah, I agree. What you do in your free time is is your passion. How do you keep it quirky in your life? Interpret as you would like. Oh, wow. This is a true work in progress as well. Like this is not something I've mastered, but like truly trying to have like the most funny time you can at all times <laughs> is the best thing. Like, like if if something is funny, you find it funny, like just laugh at it or, you know, f- finding the people you can laugh with about something and, you know, not at people, hopefully, but like that, yeah, really finding the things. And actually someone said this to me the other day, a friend of mine at work who has worked in lots of different places and she's done quite a lot of jobs she she calls which were quite she felt were quite menial she worked as a waitress in an Italian restaurant the day to day slog of like getting to a restaurant and serving you know however many covers a night and whatever she was doing she was like I found joy in the tiny things like she said something like when she walked past the table and picked up the salt and pepper shakers or whatever in like one swoop and like just managed to do that I would call that quirky as well but like that those things where you you know someone says something hilarious in the office or and, th- and this obviously comes with the privilege of working with people who are who are wonderful as well or that you've made a real fun time with but just generally like finding out what it is that the person you're working with finds funny or amusing or joyous to talk about and just like going for that I think that's a lot of people don't take the time to find out from people what they really want to talk about and like enjoy and I think sometimes people think I'm weird because I ask too many questions or I you know do you know make funny voices or whatever's going on but that is definitely like really just trying as best you can to have as much fun in situations that may otherwise not be so fun I love it Hester thank you so much for coming on the podcast if people want to find you where can they find you oh, I ask people this all the time um, where can <laughs> the tables have been turned it's, yeah, it's nice. Instagram. I live a lot of my time on that that lovely app, <laughs> uh, which is at Hester Kant. There's no more of me, so hopefully that's not too hard to find. And then you can find me... Um, if you want to listen to the programs that I work on, you can find Radio Cherry Bomb. I've hosted a few of those episodes, but also I would encourage listening to all of it. The Honey & Co. Food Talks is on iTunes and Stitcher. And that's, yeah, I'm really pleased and proud of that work. The talks on there are things that you're not going to find in other places. Thanks for being on the pod, Hester. You're the bomb. Get it? That's a throwback to Radio Cherry Bomb. Anyway, at the beginning of the episode, you all heard me talking about Better Almond Butter, the company that makes a sprouted, unpasteurized almond butter. Um, but there is more to this story than just a great product. The founder, Jordan Gaddy, is a proud idealist, and he says he's committed to being a progressive food company that prioritizes sustainability, quality, and transparency over everything else. To try Better Almond Butter today, head on over to betteralmondbutter.com and use the promo code KEEPITQUIRKY. That'll get you 10% off. And that's pretty dope. All of their shipping materials are 100% biodegradable. 
This is a company that seriously I am happy to stand behind and I'm so grateful that they are sponsoring this podcast. All right, guys, thanks again for listening. Hit me up at QKD on Twitter and Instagram. Give me any suggestions you have for guests or just say, hey, thanks to my brother Brian for the theme song. And I'm so happy that you all got to meet him this episode. I will see you all right back here next week. And in the meantime, keep it quirky.